It's the 19th of February, 2022. I'm Jack Cush. This is the Room Now podcast. I'm joined by my best friend and colleague, Artie Cavanaugh from UCSD. We are here in Maui at the site of the, room, the Rheumatology Winter Clinical Symposia, RWCS 2022. We just finished, um, and we're going to sort of wrap things up and sort of look at the highlights of this meeting. First, Artie, um, what's your take on the meeting? I think it was great. It, it was a meeting, it was a live meeting, although there were a lot of people also participating virtually, but there was a great vibe in the room, and I think it reminds us that while you can certainly get education remotely, boy, there's nothing like being in a room with colleagues where you get to discuss things and challenge each other and talk about the data and the implications. We all learn from each other, and we do that best in a personal setting. So as things are getting better in the world, it was great to see an audience full of people, and I think the vibe was really good that we all got to learn from each other. Yeah, and it showed up in a lot of different ways. The um uh, the excitement of the audience, they were glad to be out. This might have been their first trip since uh, March of 2020. And um, the thing that really exemplified the enthusiasm of the audience was not only there are many questions from the microphone, but when we were doing our debates or panel discussions, we'd often poll the audience and ask them for their opinion, yay or nay, by show of hands. And normally when you do that at a big meeting like this, you're lucky if half the people weigh in, the other half are asleep. When we did polling, everybody raised their, raised their hand. It was almost like a 100% of a sample, it, which really said that I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm voting yes, whether I believe it or not. It was really, I think, quite inspiring. Um, we begin the meeting um, every day at, at RWCS with a sort of review, a year in review for a particular topic. Ari and I always begin with the topic of rheumatoid arthritis and its year in review. We covered a lot of content, including a lot of discussion about the uh, JAK inhibitors and the safety issues around that. Uh, but one of my favorite uh, posters from or abstracts that we covered was that on pregnancy and how it's influenced either by disease activity and or therapy. So these are patients who have rheumatic disease and they look at pregnancy outcomes, adverse pregnancy outcomes, and the best determinant for the least pregnancy, adverse pregnancy outcomes was actually disease activity, more so than even drugs. Uh, the drugs, steroids are always a bad player. If a patient's on steroids throughout their pregnancy, that usually means they've got activity, and that's one of the reasons why you're giving it. But ultimately, it was um, disease activity that's a problem. Yep, there's, uh, as, as the saying is, which is absolutely true, there's nothing the better for having a healthy baby than having a healthy mom. And a big part of that is keeping the systemic inflammatory diseases under check with treatment. Yeah. Anything else from that session that you thought was good? Well, we, we sort of talked about the Jack and Ibs. You can't not talk about the Jack and Ibs these days, and they're certainly getting used much more, and there's some data been presented at ACR and ULAR looking at their utilization uh, in countries where they may have even more than we do available, and it's really picking up. But one thing uh, that we discussed throughout the meeting was the safety issue. The recent study, the oral surveillance study, the data of which was presented at ACR and then published in part also, generated a ton of discussion. And it seemed that throughout the meeting when we talked about RA, 
when we talked about the Jack Safety, when we talked about SPA, when we talked about PSA, even when we talked about IBD, the Jack and Ib discussion came over throughout. And I think that's an example of where it's nice to have multiple topics so you can really carry that discussion through with different implications in different diseases. Yeah, and, and the audience is still, uh, Eric Ritterman said at our final wrap-up that he's, he's concerned about the, um, how, what are people's perceptions about this data and what it really means. And when we ask the audience, what do you think of this data? First off, the data really only applies to at-risk people who are elderly, mm -hmm. right? And so that's not the majority of your patients on Jack. That's the minority. So there are a lot of people who felt that this news of cardiovascular events and cancer and VTEs, et cetera, really doesn't apply to their patients and it's not changing their prescribing habits. But yet, so I'll say it was a, a, a third, a third, a third. A third said, I'm not, this hasn't affected me at all. A third said, I'm really, really worried or, and I'm not, I'm using a little bit less. Actually, it wasn't that high. It was probably in the maybe 20% range. And then that middle group, kind of a larger group says, I'm concerned and I you know, started making my way and need to see how this is gonna pan out. Well, safety is super important. Uh, safety really touches so many of our discussions about therapies for all sorts of diseases. One bit of safety that just was very timely is we sort of talked about in a couple of the presentations, certainly in the IBD presentation by Dr. Mahadevan, in the review that of psoriatic arthritis that I did with uh, Eric Rudiman and Alexis Ogdi, we talked about combination therapy with biologics and targeted synthetics and People are sort of feeling their way into this. It used to be just the third rail after those important negative studies in early 2000. No one would touch combo therapy. But now what we're doing is really looking at, and it just became a, a press release now that a study, the Vega study in ulcerative colitis combining with a TNF inhibitor with IL-23 inhibitor, glimmab and gazelkimab, released its results and we got to discuss that. It was a release that was at the ECHO meeting, just uh, lifted the embargo, so we talked about that and I think very encouraging. We're very focused on safety and that suggested that you may get, the, the promise of biologics always has been, better efficacy and not more safety issues. Yeah, and I too was surprised at the discussion on combination biologics. I think what I took away from that is the door is opening, we'll see more research on this. Um, and uh, the practicality of this is I have a few patients who are taking, you know, a vetolizumab for their IBD and a, and a TNF inhibitor for their PSA, and I have to justify two expensive medicines on that basis, two different diseases. By the way, I do the same thing when I have a stills patient who's got horrible RA. They need this RA-specific biologic for their arthritis, but they need this still-specific biologic for their fever, systemic, blah, 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 blah. So the, sometimes that can help you in reimbursement. The other thing I heard, which I thought was interesting, is multiple people, including I think yourself, said nobody's yet gone down the path of combining a jack with another biologic like abatacept or a TNF inhibitor. And there's a little bit of data from registries, but those are just open observations. They're anecdotes. Still, it's, it's good to have the, the more information, the better. And we're seeing this very interestingly across fields because we, we see, as you said, uh, IBD, and that happens to have IBD-related arthritis, but also various forms of arthritis and allergic disease, because our colleagues in allergy are getting many more biologics available. They had omelizumab introduced over a decade ago, but then over the past couple of years for asthma, for atopic dermatitis, they have biologics that are incredibly potent, and so we will see more of those patients 
with combinations with things we're prescribing and things that they're prescribing. So one of the things that Artie, who runs the conference, does is he usually gives his faculty like really hard assignments. <laughs> and so um, I was sort of surprised to see that he asked Dr. Eric Ruderman to talk on neuroimmunology. And I thought, oh my God, I'm so glad it's him and not me. And it turns out when Eric got on stage, he said, I'm so disappointed it's me and not some one of the other faculty because this is a tough subject, you know, neuroimmunology. What were you thinking when you gave him that assignment? Oh, it's, it's a, an emerging area. I think at many medical centers now, uh, the, the neurology service is really balkanized, of course. You don't have a neurologist. You have a migraine specialist and an MS specialist. And uh, now we're seeing people who are neuroimmunologists because there is a greater understanding of a whole array of uh, neurologic diseases that we had sort of not paid much attention to. Now, at least in, in, in some measure, due to the development of autoantibody testing, where you find autoantibodies to various uh, neurologically relevant surface molecules, and now those are starting to find diseases. So they're really dipping their toe in the water, but there are so many conditions now, uh, and so many of these tests, and uh, I, I asked Dr. Rudman to do it as opposed to having someone who is a neuroimmunologist, because I think we really wanted to shake out the evidence. I think he did a great job of that. What is the real evidence? And I think in some areas it's very clear, like the normalitis, opti normalitis optica with strong antibody association, still need to sort out the sort of therapies. But I think that it's, a, it's an emerging discipline that we definitely need to be aware of because they're referring patients to us in many places for our advice on treatment and just say, this is an autoimmune disease, neurologically based, but what can you help us with in terms of immune modulating therapies? And Eric showed a list of all the autoantibodies that the neurologists are using, and most of them are clearly quackademia. Um, <laughs> but you know, there were a few that actually were quite interesting. Like I, I like the stiff man syndrome, which he kind of described. They look like tin men. You know, they have this stiffness. It's truncal, whatever, associated with anti-GAD antibodies. Or you know, the neuromyelitis optica, the old Vick syndrome, transverse myelitis optic neuritis being associated with the aquaphor and 4 antibodies as now you have a diagnostic tool that really has utility and can then help guide therapy. Uh, definitely a, a, an emerging field. And that was an exciting part of some of the other presentations. Uh, Dr. Postolova reviewed many different things in allergy, but one that she went out was urticaria. And urticaria uh, with, with new insight into the mechanisms of action of what we had always called anaphylactoid reactions, which were always sort of bizarre. Uh, radio contrast dyes, some antibiotics, uh, other compounds that would give uh, anaphylaxis appearing clinical symptoms, but not IgE mediated. And now there's much more of an understanding. I'd certainly encourage people to, to review that video because that's very exciting looking at something that we may be able to have greater interventions for going into the future. I, I remember when, when you came to Southwestern and started doing the clinical trials on biologics and and you introduce the term anaphylactoid reaction, people sort of lost their minds. Well, is it anaphylaxis or not? No, it's anaphylactoid and there's a definition. And um, yeah, but uh, Dr. Postlova's uh, lecture on that topic, urticaria especially, really, really good. Um, our Kahuna, which is the award uh, RWCS gives to um, uh, for a lifetime achievement in uh, education and rheumatology went to Dr. Virginia Steen, who was here and lectured on a number of topics, including the history of scleroderma. But I, I, I took away from her something 
really was helpful, and that is in her discussion of ILD in scleroderma and who should get some of the newer therapies, especially tocilizumab and uh, nintednib. Um, I like the idea that she really reminded us of the tocilizumab clinical trials which were done in early disease, and that that is an agent for patients with early disease and ILD. That might be who you might want to try it in. Uh, and then maybe the nintednib actually is for more established disease, more problematic patients. Um, but I, I really enjoyed her presentations. Yeah, it's great to hear the, the scleroderma, the history, uh, especially going into the, the, the far past, and then the past, uh, the near present, and then a little bit into the future. And it certainly is more promising than it ever has been, uh, where we had always been hopeless. And now we're sort of, I think, chipping away at uh, being able to think of specific therapies for this important disease. Yeah. Um, I like, there seemed to be a number of presentations this, um, this week um, that brought up eculizumab as therapy and, um, and where it may be fitting. It's not a drug that most rheumatologists are uh, familiar with. It's a, a monoclonal antibody against C5, um, and it basically blocks the activation of complement through C5. And, and its potential role in multiple disorders, especially in the prevention of nephritis. Um, I think that I found that really interesting. I'd like to see a lot more on that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to know about, and we seem to use it mostly now in the in extremists, in those patients who are hospitalized with the these severe systemic disorders related to the overconsumption of complement. And it has worked well, but it could well be something to reach for uh, in less severe conditions. In the session that you ran on psoriatic arthritis with Alexis Agdi and, and Eric Ruderman, what do you think was the standout? What did you get more comments about from the audience than, than others? Well, I think everybody's still excited about new treatments. Uh, and if you have a list of available treatments, uh, it's amazing compared to 10 years ago, compared to 20 years ago, it's just absolutely earth-changing. So I think that's what the audience wanted to hear. Now, unfortunately, we don't have precision medicine, so we don't know which drug is best for which patient considering potential efficacy and also safety considerations, but still super exciting. And the more options we have, the better. You know, the uh, excitement of the audience to attend and participate really shown through big time in these sessions that already runs called Bite Size Learning, end of the day, case-based discussions. I, I sort of pan lead the panel on hot seat. I take all our big name rheumatologists and put them on the stage, and I give them sort of common day cases and let them fight it out. And it's really, it's not only just good entertainment, it's good education. The audience gets into it. Uh, you did the same thing on the next day when you did case presentations that people just brought up at the microphone and whatnot. That is a great way to really get people going. Yeah, well, all of us are smarter than, smarter than any of us individually. And uh, it's great to come to a conference with cases that you have a problem with and talk to your colleagues and get their opinions, which are going to be different one from the other. And then, you know, hopefully go back and make the best decision you can and then come back and tell us what happened. Yeah. Artie, thanks for this review. Uh, there's a whole lot more. It's going to be on the rwcs.com website. That's r dash w-c-s.com. Um, you'll be able to see re uh, replays of these lectures. Uh, really worth a view. Um, make sure you tune into and or register for RoomNow.Live. It's coming up in a few weeks. Thanks a bunch.